0: Shalom, everyone. Shalom. We have finally come to the last portion of our study in the book of Ephesians. Usually, uh, preachers don't like to take texts like this, the final words of greeting and so forth, and preach on the topic because we pastors don't feel so inspired by simply a word of greeting. But I thought it would be interesting to see what can come out of just uh, deep meditation and, and a message preparation based upon this text. So I am going to preach on this text, which is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. And I've titled the message, Farewell Greeting. I'm not the one who's saying farewell. It's Apostle Paul who's saying this. And I think we can learn so many things from just a short, brief, succinct articulation of his thoughts in this final portion of his letter to the Ephesians. So let us read chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen. Amen. Basically, these uh, four verses can be divided into two a sections. The first section is basically a word of encouragement that Apostle Paul gives to the church in Ephesus and also all the other churches in Asia Minor. Second portion has to do with a word of blessing. Here we may use the term benediction. It's an authoritative type of word that apostle gives. And I believe that we, we can learn something from the fact that Apostle Paul starts with encouragement and then ends with blessing. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I don't have that kind of authority as a spiritual leader. Can I imitate Paul in this regard? Absolutely. I believe that. I believe that from Paul, we can learn how to exhort others, use whatever means we have in terms of communication to encourage people. Paul's always talking about encourage others empower others, edify others. Sometimes through comfort, sometimes through words of strengthening. But whatever we can, we try to lift each other up, not put people down, encourage them. But can we exercise authority as to speak the word of blessing, like peace be unto you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be upon you. The words that Apostle Paul is going to use to craft this benediction. He usually does this at the very end of his uh, letter. Can we do that? I believe you can. You and I, we do have authority in Christ to send out our blessings to others. And these are authoritative. It's not just lifting up a prayer. It is directing it toward the people. It is actually a, a prophetic declaration that I wish you well, I wish that the peace of God be with you, joy of the Lord be with you, I wish that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ may cover you, we should continue to proclaim those words unto others. Parents, we should do that constantly with our children, not, not just simply exhorting them, giving them instructions, but we should bless them, bless them with all the blessings of heaven, lay our hands upon them even. And parents have that authority over their children. Pastors have that authority over their flocks. But I think we can always speak, at least in words, authoritatively, declaratively, prophetically. Amen? Amen. So we'll begin with the word of encouragement found in verses 21 and 22. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Paul says that Tychicus that I am sending to you, he will tell you everything. Now Tychicus is obviously a native of Asia Minor and he's very familiar with the city of Ephesus and also Colossae. Because Paul does mention Tychicus in his letter to Colossians as well. So we don't know whether Tychicus is an actual native of Ephesus. More likely he is. But he's very familiar with the churches in Asia Minor in that region. So Paul is sending him. So Paul is sending him with this letter. But he's saying there's other things that I want to convey to you through Tychicus. So he's going to give some personal words that I have not actually written in this letter. He's going to tell you everything that you need to know about me. Now, Tychicus had a a very special privilege of serving as a special assistant to Paul. He accompanied Paul in his travel, and during the time of his imprisonment, he was right there to help and assist Now Paul sends this entrusted servant as his messenger to the churches in Asia Minor. And look at how Paul qualifies Tychicus. He's always doing that in his letters. Whoever he's sending, whoever is his agent, his representative, he's always trying to place them in the best light. And he genuinely feels that way. We feel like he is empowering his assistants his representatives and that's what we need to do as well those people who are helping us those who people who are supporting us we should always place them in the best light so that others may respect them and honor them he calls Tychicus dear brother and faithful servant in the lord i love that phrasing dear brother it's a word of intimacy And this has to do with koinonia, or the fellowship that Tychicus has entered into with him in Christ. It's a family term. He's considering him like a brother, like a kin, and perhaps even closer than blood brother. Sometimes Christian brother, Christian sister can be even more intimate because we are connected to Jesus Christ. We speak the same language. We have the same passion. We may be even more closer together, like brothers in combat, you know, during the wartime, in the trenches. We fight against the enemies and we become even more bonded as brothers. It's like what David and Jonathan called each other. Our love and our allegiance is so much more precious sometimes even more precious than our family members, especially if you're warring together against a common enemy. He calls him dear brother in the context of koinonia, but he also calls him faithful servant. And now this is in the context of diakonia. Koinonia and diakonia, these are two key words to describe intimate fellowship in a community of believers and the service that we are engaged in. Kingdom work is all about service. It's all about serving each other in the body. It is about serving the society that we live in. Serving the world, basically. Being Christ's hands and feet unto others. So these two words, if you spend some time to meditate, are such precious words. We should regard each other as dear brothers and sisters. We should regard each other as faithful servants in the Lord. And that's what binds us together in the community of believers. Now what is the purpose of Paul sending Tychicus? He says, "So that you may know I am doing what I am doing and what I am doing and how we are doing." The people, the churches in Asia Minor, who are very much indebted to Apostle Paul for his counsel. And his instruction for his wisdom and his revelation. Wanted to know what happened to Paul. Paul is a very significant leader in the early church. And they want to know what happened to Paul. He's in prison. We know that. But that's the end of that. We don't know what's going on with Paul. Tell us what's going on. And so Paul sends Tychicus. And he writes the contents in the letter. But we don't really get a sense as to what's going on with Paul. So he wanted to inform them of his state, his condition, and also perhaps his plan. Now, we have to understand that he was in an imprisoned state. And as we discussed last week, even if, if he was in a dire situation like this, he never really cared about himself. He wasn't entering the, some kind of pity, pity party uh, and asking people uh, to uh, feel pity for him. No, rather, he's more concerned about them. He's simply asking them to pray for him so that he may be a bold witness in the midst of his imprisoned state. But he's more concerned about how the Ephesians were doing, how the rest of the churches were doing. And he wanted to assure them he's well, and he's actively engaged in witnessing and proclaiming gospel. I don't know. Uh, scholars have speculated as to what the scenario might have been for Paul. In the state of imprisonment. He was under house arrest basically with a guard next to him. Maybe he was chained to a guard constantly. Or somebody who's accompanying him constantly. So you might say, what a miserable condition he must have been. He's not a free man. He is bound to somebody. He's obligated to do the guard's bidding or what the, the emperor has mandated upon him. And he's just waiting for his sentencing. But what did he do during this time? He took advantage of every moment to witness the gospel. <laughs> Anybody that, that the Roman government would place next to him, he would be witnessing to them. Probably won many of these Roman guards over. And wherever he was in the city, he was probably witnessing and talking to them. Why am I in this state of imprisonment? Why am I in this situation? He was constantly communicating to them about Jesus Christ, the gospel. No wonder we've learned last week that he's asking for prayer, that I I may be bored, that I may clearly and definitely proclaim the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in my condition, in my state. And perhaps he was even hoping for a release. That never happened. We know historically, but he was hoping that if he were to be released, that he would love to visit them. Whatever that he wanted to communicate to the people in Ephesus and other churches in Asia Minor, he wanted to communicate that directly to Tychicus. And so Tychicus' job was to, to receive a sort of a download of Apostles' Paul's mind and heart, and he had to articulate that to the people. And he's representing Paul. He's representing Paul's apostolic authority to the people. But the real reason why Paul is sending Tychicus is this. The real reason why he is sending him with this letter. The real reason why he wants Tychicus to personally, personally speak into people's lives He says that he may encourage you, that he may encourage you. You see, whatever poor situation may have been, he was like a parent, a spiritual parent, and he was more concerned about them. Little children, can you listen just for a second? Your parents, even though they may be in a very difficult situation, they may be hospitalized or they may be in prison somewhere. They find themselves in difficult situations. You know, the parents' hearts are always towards the children. Amen? Just nod. <laughs> nod, just in agreement. Yes. yeah. And Apostle Paul is like that. He's like a spiritual parent. So he's in a state of imprisonment, and yet he's concerned about the people. It should be the other way around. But he says, no, no, I don't want you to worry so much. About it. I'm doing fine. I'm not dead yet. I want you to know I'm more worried about you, how you are. And he's constantly strengthening them. In all his epistles, we see that Paul has sought to communicate with the churches and encourage the churches in basically three modes. First of all, he's always praying for them. He's praying for them. He's interceding for the people. Second of all, he's constantly writing to them, correspondence. That's another mode by which he encourages the churches. And third, if possible, he wants to visit them. And if he can't visit them personally, then he wants a personal assistant to go there and represent him. Because there are so many things you just cannot put down in words. In the written form, you can't articulate that. You could write a thesis and send it to the people, but you cannot articulate everything. But Tychicus knew Paul. And he was a living witness of Paul. And how important is that when we represent Jesus Christ to others, we don't just say, here are our four Gospels, read it. And then you will be saved. No, we take those Gospels. We take the relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ through our prayer and intimacy and worship, and we take that heart. And we share with people about how great and wonderful Jesus Christ is. There's so much power in the personal witnessing of that very person that we want to share about. And Tychicus does exactly that on behalf of Paul. And this calls for us to do exactly that on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be truly personal to them, to be able to verbatim, in our own words, be able to articulate the mind and the heart of the Lord unto others. Amen? In one word, let us encourage people. Let us exhort them. Let us strengthen them. Let us empower them. Let us raise them up into greater maturity in Christ Jesus. And now the second part, in verses 23 to 24. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is a word of blessing. It's a benediction. He starts off here with peace. Shalom, that's that's the Hebrew word. Erene, this is in Greek word. But we know that he's thinking Hebrew. Shalom, which encompasses everything that is of blessing and prosperity, the richness and the amazing sense of bliss that we can all experience. You know, Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount about the Beatitudes. Remember Beatitudes? Blessed are you. It's the same concept, the type of blessing that is all contained in the term Shalom or Eirene. And this is the key word here, especially in the context of the entire book of Ephesus where there are sectors of Gentiles and the Jews and women and men and free people and slaves and all kinds of class differentiation. To bring them together into some kind of harmony and unity, it requires peace. And peace is a key word for Christian brotherhood or sisterhood. And what do I mean by peace? First of all, peace with God. You have to have peace with God. North Korea and South Korea, it cannot just be negotiation, just an effort towards peace with one another, not just signing the peace treaty over and over and being faithful to that. This peace, that true harmony can only happen when North Korea finds peace with God. Somehow, that has to happen. And we have to be instrumental in that, bringing peace between people and God. Bringing peace with each other, that's given. We must make all our efforts to bring peace with each other. Peace of God. Having peace of God in our hearts, in our souls. Peace of God that transcends all understandings in Christ Jesus, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Peace. He starts off with peace. And then he talks about love with faith. Love with faith. And true love is that of caring for and being concerned of others. And only through love, peace can happen. Now, what kind of love is it talking about? Primarily, of course, as in this case, it's agape, but aristophilia. I think that is very adequate as well. Errors is very particular. That's a romantic type of love. I don't think that you can generate that everywhere, unless it's uh, errors towards God, romantic love towards God. But... We would not command people to have errors with everybody. We would have a chaos at hand in the society. Nor is it storge. Storge is a family type of allegiance. That can be good for your family, but you will not be able to apply that in general. But philia, that is friendship, that is brotherly love. Love between sisters. Love between comrades. That can happen. And agape, that Christ-like love. That can be done. And this love is revealed where faith is. Faith is coupled with love. You cannot have one without the other. In this society, there are people who are advocating love, 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 but they have no faith. I don't think that love's going to go anywhere. It's, kind of, it's not going to go much unless that is coupled with faith in Jesus Christ, especially among married couples. All that romance, all that allegiance, all that covenant there's a limit to that unless it's centered on faith towards lord jesus christ and if we do have faith in lord jesus christ then it has to work out in terms of love i think we all know that but the final key word is this this is what apostle paul wants to say grace to all who love our lord jesus christ with an undying love. Grace, that's what covers it all. Grace is the hallmark of all Paul's benedictions. And it's a recurring theme over and over. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. We have references filled with the term grace, charis. And what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor of God shown to us even into all eternity, even before the creation of the world. He purposed that. He already had the grace with which he created the world. And then he redeemed the world through the work of Christ. And he wants to manifest his work through the body of Christ, the church. He wants to pour out his grace to the Gentiles, the Jews, the men and the women, free men and the slaves, people of all different backgrounds. And in one word, his grace can be defined in terms of pleroma or the fullness of Christ. Fullness of Christ. What is Christ? How much is Christ? What does Christ have that he can offer to us? I don't know how to draw this, but I think the best illustration would be how parents feel about their children. How much love they feel How much grace and favor they have upon their children. It's it's like it'll just explode their hearts if they try to articulate this. But this is what they want to pour out onto the children. Children, are you hearing this? This is the parents' hearts towards you. They want to pour out so much, but you you know, it's like uh, here, fear my heart, sense this. You know, my heart is about to explode, and the children go. Okay, okay, I got you. I got you, Dad and Mom. You will not understand this until you grow older. And you have your own children. And one day, you will feel that heart for your own children. And then you will become, come to understand. Wow, that's how my mom and my dad felt about me. Can I hear amen from our little children? Amen. Amen. That was a silent amen. Thank you for that. Finally, this is what I want you to say. This, this wording is so precious. I think I could just preach on this phrasing here. To all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Paul is so filled with that sense of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to pour that out. To whom? To those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. These are the people to whom Christ's heart wants to be poured out upon. If you have a heart like this, you love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love, then you will have the favor of Jesus Christ. You must believe that. So here we see that our love for Christ must be both in terms of quantity and quality. Please repeat after me. Quantity. Quantity. And quality. and quality. It has to be both everlasting and essential. You see the term translated as undying here in NIV translation is in Greek, and aphtarsia It literally means in incorruption. Uncorrupted. And in that sense, it has two connotations. One, it is so pure and so true that it hasn't been tainted. And in another sense, it is never-ending. Then nothing can possibly quench it. I love what John Calvin stated about this, this passage. He said, The only way to truly enjoy the light of divine countenance is to love sincerely God's own son in whom his love towards us has been declared and confirmed. The only way to truly enjoy the light of divine countenance, to enjoy his favor that he's looking upon us with pleasure and joy and satisfaction is to love God's own son most sincerely. Now why is this meaningful? Because this is the very term that John Calvin used for his own life slogan. If you see over there on top of the counter, you see the words inscribed there: Cor meum tibi offero, domine, prompte et sincere. And it means simply this: My heart unto you I give, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. And right there in in his description of how he would offer his, his heart unto the Lord, how he would operate in his relation with the Lord, he says, I am going to operate with my heart promptly, right there, hands on, ready to go at the drop of a dime. I'm ready to give my heart to you and earnestly and sincerely. So you see, our heart of love and devotion to Christ must be true and pure and everlasting, even eternal. And it is this very heart that we have towards Christ we carry with us when we go to heaven. And that is the heart that is going to be continually, continually expanding and growing and maturing in Christ. So once again, Paul says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. If you don't get anything out of this message or the, out of the entire study of the book of Ephesians, just remember this last statement. He says, Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit will be poured upon all of us if we would truly love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love, unquenchable love. Uncorruptible love, purity and trueness of our love that is everlasting. That is not just for a brief moment, a year or two, but it is to the rest of our lives and even into eternity. That's the type of love that Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, let me tell you, this type of love in the earthly state, the closest is that of parental love for the children. I don't see how any other type of love could possibly equal this type of love. Earthly speaking, it's something that parents have towards their children. And then also, we see this in certain phases of relation between husband and wife who really have no reason to operate this way except they have entered into covenant of marriage. But in Christ, that is possible. I know that as a husband with a wife, sometimes there are tensions and sometimes uh, I don't know if I could give her that undying love and a just pure, absolute love as I would give unto Christ. There are t- moments like that, especially when you get into tension, you get into argument. But that's why we have to remember that our covenant of marriage is founded in Christ. It is before Christ we enter into that. And we enter into sort of an experimental laboratory whereby we are being tested to see whether we, as husband and wife, can truly love each other with undying love as we are called to love the Lord himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.